Back in 2007, my wife and I were preparing to leave uh, South Carolina for our first <clears throat> invasion of the North into Pennsylvania. And if I, if I could tell you from the time that I accepted the call to go into the field till we got there, and, and I've often said this, I actually believed at one time we had more people praying against us not to go than we did for us to go. The selfishness of us wanting to stay where we are. But God had a plan, and, and I began to believe those prayers against us because everything that we tried to do to move up there was often thwarted by something. And I will never forget that one day we were working, and it was working during the summertime, and we had uh, we were trying to be up there by the fall, and it wasn't working out too well. And several things had began to just come to us, and we had gotten bad news uh, uh, from from a couple of other things. And it's just one thing right after the other. And I never will forget again, we were working in a meat processing plant, and she would get out of school, her and the kids, and come help me cut meat. I had done left the plant at this time. We had done prepared to go, but God in his infinite, uh, in, infinite wisdom and his sovereignty had put a timetable on it that I didn't understand. Okay, So it didn't always work out like I had planned it to. And I never will uh, understand how it worked out this way, but we had gotten some bad news, and Tiff and the kids are with me, and I'm standing in the meat processing room, and I raised my hands, and my wife and kids are witnesses to this. I said, what else you got, Lord? What else? And I promise you, 45 seconds later, I walked into a freezer and bent over, and a 15-pound pig head fell off and hit me in the back. A frozen pig head. Now you say, that's impossible. I'm telling you it happened. It knocked me on the floor of the freezer and I couldn't get up. And that pig head put me out of commission. Like I say, you want to you see what pain is? Get hit with a frozen pig head and the snout go right into your kidney. It was nasty. I crawled out of there and I said, well, I guess he showed me. But I couldn't work. It ruined me for the rest of the week and I was in bad way. Now I said all that to say this, we often hear people say, well it could be worse. Everything always could be worse. Let me tell you something, in the chapter that we're going to read, you have no idea how bad it can get. Yeah, it can get worse. You see, as we've been through Revelation and we've seen the trumpets blown, you'll see the, the, the first four sec like I told you before, you'll see it in the section of four and three with the angels. The first four can directly touch man or, or touch man indirectly through the poisoning of, of the food and of the waters and of the vegetation. And you'll see all these things take place. And then you'll hear the fifth trumpet. We talked about this week before last. About how now this evil horde is allowed to come out and touch man directly, but he torments man. He tortures man. He inflicts man. Now, oftentimes we think about affliction, we think about sickness. I often believe that there's things that are worse than death. And I believe that there's things that we think that could get worse, but we really say that in a flippant voice. We do not understand how bad things can get. 
And I want to point out a couple of things in these next few verses as the sixth angel blows his trumpet. And, and, and as we go through this, I, I ask you to bear with me because I, I pray that it gives you a reality check. Number one, to know where you stand. Now, take into consideration, we wrestle demonic spirit every day. There's demonic presence around us. Paul tells us, for we don't wrestle flesh and blood, but what? Principalities of the dark. There is demonic influence all around us. If you don't believe there's demonic influences, you need to read your scripture. And we see these things, but yet we have not seen anything yet. And if we have a hard time dealing with what's around us, can you imagine what we're going to do when things get worse? So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Revelation chapter 9. Revelation chapter 9, I'm going to begin in verse 13. I'm going to read the text, then we'll go back. We'll go back and, and go through the text. Then the sixth angel sounded, and I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. And one saying, the sixth angel who had the trumpet released the four angels who were bound at the great Euphrates River. And four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released so that they could kill a third of mankind. And the number of the armies was horsemen was 200 million. Your text may say myriad of myriads. So it's just a massive number, okay? And I heard the number of them. And this is how I saw in the vision of vision the horses and those who sat on them. The riders had breastplates in the color of fire and hastened and brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like the heads of lion. And out of their mouths proceeded fire and smoke and brimstone. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and the smoke and the brimstone which proceeded out of their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents that have heads, and with them they do harm. The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands. So as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and brass and of stone and of wood, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Circle that. And they did not repent of their murders, nor of their sorceries, thank you, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, open our eyes to Scripture and our hearts that we may listen, that Your Word, every ounce of it, is God-breathed. And God, we pray that as we are used for instruments of Your glory, that we have an urgency to spread the good news of your Son, Jesus Christ. And we'll give you all the praise and glory for it. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. If you're not one to read the Old Testament, as I said on Thursday or Wednesday, you need to start. As we was in the book of Haggai, beautiful book, we were reading some things, and there's some imagery that you need to see. As, as someone has often said, and I often repeat, that I believe God's Word is His Word from Genesis to the maps. It is all God's Word, and it's very, it's very important that we understand the imagery of what we see. Now, I want to show you something very peculiar about these first verses that I pray it gets your attention and other people's attention as well. 
He said, when the sixth angel sounded, I heard a voice from the four horns of the golden altar, which is before God. This golden altar that was uh, we, we looked at in Revelation chapter 8, where you see the, the prayer of the saints lifted up. The golden altar and the horns was a sign of mercy. It was a symbol of mercy. You will find this very clearly, and I ask you to go back if you listen to any of the sermon and you write down notes, to go back and read in, in, in some of this because I think it's very important that you get this. The four horns at the altar were a sign of mercy. Well, Chad, how do you know that? Well, 1 Kings 1, 50-51 says when Adoniah was running for Solomon, he got sanctuary by running into the altar and grabbing the horns. He found sanctuary. It was a place of mercy. But now that same place of mercy has turned into a place of judgment. God's patience has run out. The one saying the sixth angel had, who uh, had the trumpet released the four angels who were bound at the great, uh, great river Euphrates. How many of you know what is one of the most mentioned countries in the Bible besides Jerusalem and Israel? Or Jerusalem is a city. Israel is a country. I think it's the second most. I might be wrong on that. But does anybody know what country it is? Iraq. How about that? Ain't the Bible cool? Well, I didn't know that, Chad. Read the Old Testament. You see, what happens at the river Euphrates and Tigris, where they come together, we will call that very interestingly the place where civilization began. It's where the great first sin took place. Where Cain killed Abel. Where Pharaoh Necho was killed by Nebuchadnezzar. Alexander the Great crossed it. It's very important that we see these things because it was the center of civilization. But for some reason, there are four angels bound here. Now, when we see and hear the word bound, we think of chains and ropes and all kind of things. I don't know how they were bound. The Bible's not said. But what it does tell me is God had control and had a lock on them. But it's now the movie I remember, uh, Clash of the Titans, I believe it was, as he stood up and said, release the Kraken. God says, let him go. And look what it says. Release the four angels who are bound at the great Euphrates River. And the four angels who had been prepared for the hour and the day and the month and the year were released. Do you see that? This is why I wanted to bring this to you. You see that? They were prepared for this time. This is part of God's sovereign plan. Throughout history in the fall of man, as God would put enmity between man... And he would say, look, look, there is hope. There is hope. God has given us every opportunity to repent. His word is clear on this. But these angels are prepared for this purpose, for this specific place, for this specific time to be released to execute the judgment of God. We must understand that. Oh, God is a loving God. Why would He do such things? God 
hates sin. I think sometimes we misunderstand that. As I heard the evangelist say, as a part of God's nature, to love, he has to hate. What do you mean by that? And the example was given, I love babies. Therefore, I hate abortion. That that is contrary to the holiness and character of God, he hates. Proverbs tell us that very clearly. And sin affects the whole aspect of men's being. It encompasses you. It surrounds you. It infiltrates you. And that shit you are will be revealed. And God hates it. And these angels you'll see, they're allowed to kill a third of mankind. Now the first angel when he begins to touch man directly, they torment man. Now, they kill man. A third of mankind. Billions. Now, I want you to think about this from this perspective. Well, I'm going to go a little further for this. The number of the armies of the horsemen was 200 million. And I heard the number of them. Like I said, myriads and myriads. It was, it was tremendously a large amount of army. Now, a lot of scholars that try to split frog's hair will try to come up with something to explain all this to you. When we don't understand the mysteries of God, we make stuff up. Now bear with me on this. You know this. It's just like a person that lies. If they don't know the truth, what do they do? They make stuff up. Men have to have an understanding of all things. You'll see how this plays in. We've got to know the answer for everything. There cannot be no mysteries with God. We've got to know it all. We have to be enlightened. Keep that note. But the number of these armies of the horsemen was 200 million. And I heard the number of them. So what he sees is these angels are released and the armies are coming forth. And this is how I saw in the vision the horses and those that sat on them. Now if you remember... He said in the first version, they were like horses. Text is very important how we read it. He said they were like horses. Now he said, these are horses. And those that sat on them, the riders of the breastplate of the color of fire and hessent and brimstone. And the heads of the horses are like heads of lions. Are like. The heads of the horses are like heads of lions. But what he saw is what he's trying to explain in language that he knows. Now people say, well, that's a, that's a tank and coming a helicopter. Come on, man. I don't know everything about the mystery of God, okay? I don't understand how he's going to execute everything, but there's enough in this Bible that tells me it's going to be a terrible day. That's what I need to know. It doesn't matter what he's going to use to execute his judgment. It matters that he's going to execute his judgment, that's what we got to see. And you can go and read all these books on Revelation that will fascinate you and think it's the coolest thing. Revelation is not cool. The Bible's cool, but Revelation ought to shake us to our core. Because for two reasons. God is who He says He is, and He's coming back. 
And those that are right will be with him. And those who are not righteous will not be. But men will continue to grow hard in their hearts. Now you see this army being released. And they got this color and you'll only find that this scheme of color is only used in this New Testament. In their head, the horses are the heads of lions. They're ravenous. They're ravenous. I don't know if you've ever been to a zoo. Now, I'm going to be quite honest with you. I like zoos. I feel bad for the animals. But I like a zoo. And knowing that when you go to a zoo, what separates you from this lion is this plexiglass. And when you walk in, I can assure you that he sees lunch. His mouth is open. I don't know if you've ever seen the twofers on these things, but they're big. Now, I want to illustrate that to show you what John sees is an army of ravenous lions that they're bent on destruction and death. And look what it says. And out of their mouth proceed fire, smoke, and brimstone. And again, let's go back to this. A lot of people say it's armies. A lot of people say it's you know, it's, it's the Chinese army or, or whatever army. Let me, let, me, let me give you an example. This number that he is using is millions upon millions. Did you realize that all the armies combined in World War II only topped 70 million? So I want you to think about this. Or 7 million, I think it was. But anyway, can't even compare. You see what is happening here. Is, is, is an amount of army that nobody can explain. And what you are seeing is destruction that is bent on taking out a third of mankind. Now, not only do a third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by the fire and smoke and brimstone, look, look what he says. Not only a third of people is killed, I want to go a little bit deeper than this. Now, think about this. A third of the people are killed. It's one thing to see those people dead. It's another thing to try to bury those dead. Have you ever thought about that? Can you imagine the stench? The swelling up? The nastiness of all these dead bodies laying around? Let me paint the scene for you. My son was in another country. And I won't call the country, but I'll say he's in a country that has no safety net. In other words, what I mean by that, if you die on the road, you're dead on the road. If somebody feels sorry for you, it either burns you or throws you in the river. And he saw this motorcycle wreck where this person died. Okay? And as long as he was there, that person that died on this busy intersection, that died on that motorcycle, was there for days. And people would ride by. That's one body, people. That's one body. That's one body that laid in the middle of the street that no one cared about. I can't imagine the stench, the filth, the disease that is associated with this one dead body. Now imagine a third of mankind. You see, I had the privilege many years ago of going to the... I love Civil War history and I had the privilege to go to Shiloh, Tennessee. Beautiful story. Of, of valor on both sides of men who give their lives for what they thought was right. And it's amazing how man's twisted lives can, can give them ambition to die. 
But the thing that struck me about this battle was that it was so intense in certain places and so quick they didn't have time to bury all the dead individually. They put them in mass graves. And you can go up to some of these graves where there's hundreds of bodies buried just piled in there real quick and hastily buried and they were never removed. They were thrown together in a heap and they were covered with dirt and so they lay for eternity. And this is one battlefield in one spot in one place in American history. You're looking at a third of mankind. Why are you trying to illustrate this? Because I want you to look at the reaction of man even though this has taken place. A third of mankind was killed by these three plagues, by fire and by smoke and by brimstone, which proceeded from their mouths. For the power of the horses is in their mouths and in their tails. For their tails are like serpents and have heads, and do with them they do, and with them they do harm. And the rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of the works of their hands, so as not to worship the demons and idols and gold and silver and brass and of stone and wood which can neither see, nor hear, nor walk. I wanted to stop a few minutes and tell you a little story. What you will see during this passage, forget all the imagery for a minute and focus on the root, which is the condition of man's heart. You see, oftentimes... And I've said this, we look for signs from God. <clears throat> we want those signs that we may believe. Well, if I saw a miracle, I would believe. No, you wouldn't. And I often use this example. <laughs> if we could turn that one off, I'd appreciate it. Come over here in shade. It's lost my train of thought. Sorry. Well, uh, the uh, I just lost my. I, I'm sorry. It just caught me off guard. Uh, the condition. What this says about a condition of a man's heart. You see what's interesting about this is the fact that is the fact that if you look at man. Okay, man does not want to be subject to God's authority. Let's think about this. No matter how bad things get, let me give you an illustration of this. How many of you have heard about Luke 16 and Lazarus and the rich man? You see, as he is in hell, the rich man is, he sees Lazarus and Abraham from this great gulf. And he says, please, send Lazarus over here that he would touch his finger in water and cool my tongue, for I am tormented in this flame. He is in continuous torment. He's suffering. What does Abraham say? No. Nope. Can't happen. We're separated. You had your chance. But then he cries out and says, oh, but may we have the opportunity 
to get out of this place and tell my brothers that they may not come here. No. They have Moses and the prophets. If they will not listen to the Word of God, in other words, they ain't going to listen to one that raised from the dead. Men are hard-hearted. Men love to run from the authority of God. And this is something that has happened throughout history. Why? I'll show you. Turn your Bible to the book of Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. Now listen. Now the serpent was the most cunning of all the wild animals and the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God really say you can't eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, We may eat the fruit from the trees of the garden, but about the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, God said, You must not eat it or touch it or you will die. It's very clear cut. Don't touch this. But look what Satan does. No, you will not die, the serpent said to the woman. In fact, God knows that when you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Nah, that has been Satan's game since the beginning of the time to let you think that you're enlightened. Satan gives you a false promise that you will find out through Scripture he cannot fulfill. But yet men in their hard hearts continue to think that they can run from the authority of God because they know better than he does. It's very clear. I want to read another passage to you and you don't have to turn to it. But listen. Proverbs 27 tells us this. Listen. Pages are sticking together. Though you grind a fool in a mortar with a pestle along with grain, you will not separate his foolishness from him. Though you grind a fool, no matter what you do to him in his hard heart, he will not turn because he thinks his way is better than God's way. I tell you, so many times, I think we miss the point of what God's made. Let's look to the Old Testament and read this text to you. Listen to what he says. Book of Amos. I gave you absolutely nothing to eat in all your cities, a shortage of food in all your communities, yet you did not return to me. This is the Lord's declaration. I also withheld the rain for while you were there three months until harvest. I sent rain on one city, but no rain on the other. One field received rain while a field with no rain withered. Two or three cities staggered to another city to drink water, but they were not satisfied. Yet you did not return to me. This is the Lord's declaration. I struck you with blight and mildew. The locusts devoured your many gardens and vineyards your fig trees and olive trees, yet you did not return to me. I sent plagues like those of Egypt. I killed your young men with a sword, along with your captured horses. I caused the stench of your camp to fill your nostrils, yet you did not return to me. I overthrew, of you, overthrew some of you. 
I overthrew Sodom and Gomorrah, and you were like a burning stick snatched from the fire, yet you did not return to me. Therefore, Israel, this is what I will do to you. And since I will do that to you, Israel, prepare to meet your God. He is here. The one who forms the mountains, creates the wind, reveals his thoughts to man. The one who makes the dawn out of darkness and strides on the heights of the earth. The Lord, the God of armies, is his name. Let me tell you, you can bow now or you can bow later, but I can guarantee you every one of you are going to bow. You see what had happened here. It's God in His wonderful grace and mercy has given men since the creation of time a time to repent. To know in their way they are wrong. Everybody knows there's a God-sized hole that only He can fill. But yet in our infinite wisdom and almighty power and through our own desire we have chosen that our way is better than His. And what you will see is not even death and destruction will change their hearts. Romans says that men love creator or creation more than creator. And therefore God gave them over to a reprobate mind. Let me tell you this. Very clear. He said you want to continue to live and wallow in your sin, you go right ahead. See, this ought to send us chills. This is what's coming. But the symptoms of what is coming is happening right now, people. Let me give you a, talk a little bit about this Wednesday, a little shocking note to you. An article was, re was re uh, released by Barna last week that said only 47% of pastors hold to a biblical worldview. Is it 30, I'm sorry, 37. 37%. 37% of pastors hold to a worldview, biblical worldview. What does that mean? that 63% don't. If I remember right, the same article said, as you go down and look at the pastors within a church and the leadership, I think youth pastors now were 12% hold to a biblical worldview. 12%. And we wonder what is happening today. Because our way is better than God's way. We have become a generation and a, and a people that want to hear things that please us, that tickle our ears. And we have seen people that we've laid hands on and proclaimed them ministers of the gospel that don't know more about the gospel than they do rocket science. But they please the people. He said, Chad, why do you say these things? Because let me explain to you the, the moral of the story behind this text and why we're going through Revelation. We ain't seen nothing yet. And it's the principalities of the dark that we wrestle with. If we, can't, if we can't grow and lean on Jesus during this time, what do we expect to do? See, in our own way, in our own desire, we seek signs and wonders that God may throw that burning bush out there that we might believe, that our faith might increase. But it's very clear that even since the fall, that man's depravity in his heart, he don't look for that sign. He don't care about that sign. He cares about himself. You see, here's the whole point to all this. And then what you will see, no matter what God brought down upon them, their hearts hardened. I am so tired of people saying, well, I can wait till later to share the gospel to somebody. They got time. There is no time. 
We're not guaranteed tomorrow. There is no time. Today is the day. The gospel must be urgent. And what I am seeing here is this, that we haven't seen nothing like this, and we're still hard-hearted. Do you realize that the Bible tells us in the book of Exodus that as the plagues increased, so did Pharaoh's heart? We get mad at God. It's His fault. Because I want to do it my way. And they did not repent. Well, let me back up. I found this verse kind of interesting. You know, the rest of mankind who were not killed by the plagues did not repent of the works of their hands so as not to worship demons and the idols of gold and silver and the brass of, of stone and wood. Did you notice something about that? They worshipped relics. They worshipped relics. They wouldn't turn from worshipping their idols. They had more faith in their idols than they do the Lord God Almighty who just wiped out the third of the earth. Because those idols bring them an insecure comfort because they have been deceived by the one who told Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, you will be enlightened and be just like God. We want to be just like God. And we're not. And they worship their idols, which can neither see nor hear nor walk. Isn't it amazing the things that people worship? People worship idols today. Tell me you don't. We worship what we live in. We worship what we drive. We worship what we wear. We worship what electronics we have. You say, Chad, oh, that's pushing it too far. Let me tell you something. Listen, if you spend more time with that than you do fellowship with God, that's an idol. If you spend more time doing things watching TV than reading God's Word, you spend more time doing other things that bring you fulfillment instead of springing, spend, spring, being, spending time with your wife and kids, the family that God has given you, then you got a problem. You have an idol problem. As I told a young man this past week, as we was talking about him as he was ordained in the ministry, I said, I want you to understand something, please, because now time more than ever that we need sound people preaching the Word of God. And like David Jeremiah said, I'm a Christian. First and foremost, my heart belongs to Christ and Christ alone. Only He is the deliverer of all things. And He is number one. This side of heaven, my wife is number two. This side of heaven, my children are number three. And number four are you. Y'all last. I want everybody to hear that clearly. I'm going to tell you why. Because if I can't handle one, two, and three, then I definitely can't handle number four. And so many times we got that backwards. Our jobs are number one. Well, that's your idol. My things are number one. That's your idol. Because I must tell you why people think it, they're blessed when they have material things. Because this society has gone to show you that by material things, you can be just like God. What do you mean, Chad? Because you love your creation more than you love your Creator. And that's what's happening. And they did not repent of their murders, nor sorceries, nor any, or either, nor of their immorality, nor of their thefts. They kept on keeping on. They would not repent. 
Let me give you something that, in closing, that I hope you take heart to. When many people ask me to go through, or not many people, several people ask me to go through this book, I did not know life was going to throw me and others curveballs either. But as I began to study this book and began to learn, and as I've often said, we get caught up in the fascination and imagery, we miss the tune. We miss the whole tune of the music. We miss the words. Instead of being fascinated, we were to be grounded followers of Jesus Christ. You see, this word has taught me that he who began a work in this world will bring it to an end in his time. And yes, God is merciful. But it's very clear that even the altar with the horns of that sign of mercy, that mercy ceases and turns to judgment. God's going to judge unrighteousness. But yet men in their hard hearts will continue to do what they've always done because they love themselves more than they love God. We'll see in the next chapters how you will have the witnesses and you'll see that the message is there. Repent, 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 repent. But yet we want to see a miracle. Have you ever thought about this? The Bible tells me that when God delivered his children out of Egypt, and he promised he would, do you think only one person saw the Red Sea part? No. As you often hear me say, there was a sack full of people there. It opened up, and God gave them passage. But yet, they had an opportunity to go into the promised land, but... Only two of the spies had confidence because the others put confidence in themselves and they looked at fear across the river. But Joshua and Caleb saw the hand of Almighty God that was with them and said, we can do this. But unfortunately, like today, the majority sometimes rules and they would wonder. It's very interesting in me that God in His mercy, as they would wonder, they cried for water, he'd give them a drink. They'd cry for food, and God would feed them. But yet, they were never happy. They always wanted just a little bit something more. See? That goes to show you. Now, go, go with me on this. You'll see where I'm making the connection. When we bought our house a couple years ago, never forget meeting with a realtor, and they said, you know what? They liked this house when they bought it, but they told me when they bought it, they wanted something greater. Wanted something just a little bit more. We were so happy to get it and thank God for it. But the people before us wanted something more before they even bought that one. And their whole idea was to grow as big as they possibly could. Now, I'm not saying that in itself is wrong if you have a large family, but what I am saying is this. We are living in a time and place in this world, and we have throughout the history, that where man is never satisfied with seeing nor the ear hearing. We always some want something just a little bit more. We want God to show us that sign. Now here's the deal. The Bible tells me that not even Moses made it into the promised land. He got to see it, 
But of all the people that seen the miracles and the wondrous hands of God, live, only two made it in the promised land. And that was Joshua and Caleb of that generation. Two. You see, narrow is the gate to righteousness. And few people find it. Few. Few. Let me break that down for you in, in, in our language. If you were talking about ten people, a few would be three. That ought to get you attention. And you see, the point that I'm trying to make with this is when I read this text, and I read the Word of God, and I see what's coming, it ought to give us an urgency to share the good news of Jesus Christ now. We ought to have an urgency. Now, I'm not going to say that everybody's going to be saved. But God has called you, if you're a born-again believer, to share that good news which you have in you. It's not just preachers. It's all of you. And here's the thing. That narrow road to righteousness, only few will find it. But you don't know who those few are. And you're commanded to share the Word of God. Because I can assure you that as bad as things are now, it's going to get worse. And we can't be a people that goes around sharing, oh, it's going to be okay if you have this, or you have this, or you have this. It's not about material blessings that's going to get you to believe. It's not about signs and wonders that's going to change your heart. The only thing that's going to change your heart is the Holy Spirit wrought on by conviction by hearing the gospel. Period. And we're all accountable for the good news of the gospel. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for your grace, your mercy. God, we pray that through all things that you would be glorified. God, we pray that you uh, just use us for your glory. Lord, I pray that you would just move in a mighty way among us. That God, we would, uh, we would see us for who we are and see you for who you are. Lord, we are to take up our cross and follow you. God, come whatever may, may we always stand on the boldness of your word. Stand on the truth of the gospel and place our lives in the hands of he who created all things and is in control of all things. Lord, develop us an urgency. Develop us a, a want to to go out into this world and share the good news that you've given us. And God, we pray that in all things you would be glorified. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Stand and worship with us, please.